0: This is The Causes of Things, and I'm your host, Michael O'Fallon. Over the past few weeks, we've examined the issues surrounding the attempt to leverage the poison tools of postmodern deconstructionist thought in order to move one of the largest voting blocks in the United States of America, the Evangelical Christian Church, towards a progressive leftist victimhood agenda that would normally be associated with the current Democratic National Committee. And while we have discussed the steps and strategies to shift this traditionally conservative demographic to the far left, embracing open borders, decrying national pride, pushing the concept of white privilege and systemic racism, we still need to delve into the how of affecting civilizational or cultural change within the tribal community of traditional Orthodox biblical Christendom. So if you were to examine the decomposing situation at many Christian Bible colleges, seminaries, or others across the nation, you would almost universally come away with the conclusion that people are being taught by ideologues and not by theologians. And ideologues have a very simple way of looking at the world. They reduce it to a few principles like inequality and unfairness and power. And those would be the fundamental principles at the moment that are operating on the radical left. And they're on an ideological campaign. And that's also increasingly the case in churches and denominations as well, mostly because the faculties of education where they were trained are full of people who are radical leftists. And that brings us to postmodernism. And as much as we are preparing exegetical answers to the incoming woke tsunami led by previously trustworthy theological pastors and scholars, you must understand postmodernism because it is what we are up against. And truly, you're up against it more than you know or think, and it's a much more well-developed, pernicious, nihilistic, and intellectually attractive doctrine that has yet to come to public realization, as it absolutely dominates the fields of historical theology and increasingly the interpretive and practical fields of pastoral theology. It is the primary philosophical presupposition of what's happening throughout our national landscape, To achieve this end, I would also highly recommend an excellent resource from Stephen Hicks, Explaining Postmodernism, which is available on the Sovereign Nations page link that accompanies this podcast. Well, social constructionist postmodern thought, for people who don't understand it, is predicated on the idea that the ideals of the Reformation and modernity, the ideas of rational discourse and objectivity and scientific inquiry, and the free exchange of ideas in the marketplace of ideas, and even the idea of, let's say, education itself, which was the core value of the seminaries, that's all to be dispensed with, because there are no overarching truths. And if the postmodernist stance is that there are no overarching truths, then everything is up for grabs. Now, of course, that's an internally contradictory philosophy because it leads you with no direction for action. But the postmodernists deal with that by allowing their philosophy to be nested inside of a neo-Marxist doctrine that will provide them with the necessary vehicle for them to accomplish their goals. Well, let me take one step back for a moment to explain a bit about postmodernism and why you should reject anything that has the stench of Derrida, Foucault, or to a lesser degree, Lacan and Lyotard. So the old Marxist notion was that the world was a battleground between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. Well, that failed to have any philosophical or ethical standing after the working class actually saw its standard of living massively elevated as a consequence of Western free enterprise democracy. Also, as a consequence of the revelations of everything terrible that happened in every country that ever dared to make equality and the Marxist communist dogma part of their fundamental structure, as Marxism has resulted in nothing but murderousness and oppression over the past hundred years, wherever it was tried. By the 1970s, after witnessing the tens of millions of deaths as a result of Marxism in the Soviet Union, China, Cambodia, Cuba, and other areas, it was evident that the game was up. The postmodernist Marxists just basically pulled a sleight of hand and said, okay, if it's not the poor against the rich, it's the oppressed against the oppressor. We'll just redivide the subpopulations in ways that make our philosophy continue in its movement forward and that's where we are now. And so for the postmodernists, the world is a battleground of identity groups. They do not communicate with one another because they can't. All there is is a struggle for power. They believe that logic is part of the process by which the patriarchal institutions of the West continue to dominate and to justify their dominance. They don't believe in dialogue. And the root word of dialogue, of course, is logos. They don't believe that people of goodwill can come to consensus through the exchange of ideas. They believe that notion is part of the philosophical substructure and practices of the dominant culture. So the reason they don't let people who they don't agree with speak on campuses is because they don't agree with letting people speak that disagree with them. You see, it's not part of the ethos that they're trying to communicate, and as soon as they allow good and honest debate or dialogue, then they believe that they have lost because they are giving fair and equal time to the oppressive dominant hierarchy. But let's get back to our favorite French postmodernist, Jacques Derrida. Derda described the West as male-dominated or phallogocentric, which I think is something to take a serious issue with as a blatant claim that's not differentiated enough or sophisticated enough. He also said that our society was logocentric, and that partly means logic, but there's a deeper meaning to logos, because logos is also the second person of the Christian trinity, and that's something that Derda knew perfectly well. One of the propositions Derrida laid forth was that there is a near infinite number of ways of interpreting any situation or any text, which happens to be technically true, and that's being discovered in all sorts of fields, including artificial intelligence. So the central claim that he begins with is actually true, but ignoring all the while that while there are infinite numbers of ways to interpret a word, a phrase, A paragraph or a book, there is only one correct way to interpret the word, the sentence, or paragraph, or book. And that is the way in which the original author intended, or, and here's the real sticking point, that which corresponds to reality. And if you recall in episodes three and episodes five, We discuss the massive shift to reject the correspondence theory of truth and embrace the manipulative function with all of its accompanied fertile fallacies. So Derrida's view of the logocentric society is a deep criticism of the idea that the individual as a communicative force is the appropriate highest value upon which a culture should be built. He took that apart and he criticized it. So that's a deeper and obviously control-oriented criticism, I would say deeper than even Marxist criticism, which was mostly about unequal economic power relationships. Derrida went way deeper and to the fringes than that, and this is where the postmodernists that occupy the universities and seminaries are, anti-individualistic right down to the bedrock, and that's partly why they push collectivism to such a degree that they don't care who you are. They just care about what your group identity is. There's actually people who do this professionally, by the way. They analyze businesses and other organizations by these strategies. And these are often people that call themselves diversity consultants. So let's imagine that you take a hierarchy of some sort, like a 501c3 organization. Then what you do is you analyze the hierarchical structure of the organization, then you break down the representation of the people in the organization by their identity categories. So how many men, how many women, how many transsexuals, but then you don't stop there. And this is where actually part of the technical problem with the approach comes from. You divide them by race, you divide them by ethnicity, you divide them by sexual identity. So imagine now we've got six or seven categories already. And obviously, race is further divisible, as is ethnicity, as are such things as attractiveness or height or weight. So right there, there's all sorts of ways of dividing people into groups axiomatically, and there's no self-evident way of determining which of those group divisions should be superordinate. And that's partly how the deconstructionist can keep gerrymandering the game, because they can just keep playing games with the group categories. So... You take the hierarchy within the organization and you take, let's say, the bottom rung and you ask, well, is it 50% men and 50% women? And if the answer to that is no, then you make the claim that the reason for that is because of systemic oppression, prejudice, and bigotry, and usually misogyny as well. So then you make the case that the people who are running the organization are bigoted and misogynistic, even if it's not consciously. So that's the unconscious bias aspect. Then you put forward a plan that can include quotas and increasingly will be able to ensure that the hierarchical level is now equal in proportional representation to the population. Itself. Now, of course, conveniently, you also get to determine which population you're going to compare it to because that's one of the ways that you get to keep the power. And when you're the diversity specialist doing this, you get to decide which groups of people are going to be identified with who, even though there's a near infinite number of ways people could be divided into groups. And you get to decide which population you're going to compare it to so you can keep everybody unstable and off kilter permanently. Then you go into the organization and you make unconscious bias training mandatory. And you most likely will make prejudice worse because people don't like to be called bigots and misogynists and to be put through the retraining in a mandatory class taught by radical postmodernists, all for the sake of equity. And let me remind you, we should never strive for equity, which of course means equality of outcome, which can have deadly results our society our organizations and our churches have been based upon a competency model those who are the best rise to the top and at times with great risk and peril to demand equity is to demand permanent mediocrity and according to one's faith unbiblical hierarchies all for the sake of the new woke society sadly this isn't just being taught in our governmental institutions or corporations the truly deconstructive element of this scenario is being played out in america's traditionally conservative denominations and seminaries in the largest traditionally conservative seminaries in the united states progressive deconstructionism is now the lens from which every other discipline is viewed whether it be hermeneutics interpretation or history in essence where America's pastors and missionaries were produced to herald forth the gospel, literally speaking forth truth and the biblical concept of corresponding truth to hundreds of millions of people. This has all quickly morphed into not training pastors, but training community organizers. Community organizers that will lead each church into the new progressive age, who will lead converts into intersectional divisions, unified only in their oppression. Community organizers who will strive to change election as they encourage their flocks to vote for candidates who will continue to pump millions of dollars through the Federal Refugee Resettlement VOLAG programs. Community organizers who will bind together with one another to oppose true conservatives in office and who will gladly join with organizations who are seeking to break our nation apart. Community organizers who will spend the majority of their time and energy in the next several years pushing the postmodern divisive lies of white privilege and white supremacy while never for one second decrying the violence and genocide in South Africa. Ladies and gentlemen. We need godly pastors again. We need seminaries and colleges who will teach the true historical Christian faith as derived from the pages of Scripture and not from the pages of postmodern French intellectuals from Paris. We need to reclaim our faith, our churches, and our seminaries, our families, our culture, and our nation. Well, in the coming days, Sovereign Nations will be standing with true men of God as we confront the greatest challenge to our churches and to our nation in our lifetimes. I pray you will join me in this epic journey as we will be walking minute by minute, day by day, in the pages of history. I'm Michael Fallon, and this has been The Causes of Things.